Well, good morning and welcome back. We are so thankful that you've decided to join us this morning and spend your Sunday morning here with us. We know that we've got folks watching actually from all over the country. Uh, I've got word this morning from my parents in Illinois who are on and some of our friends from all over the country are watching this morning. So we wanna welcome you wherever you may be joining us from this morning. We are so thankful that we have this technology in place that despite the fact that we can't physically be together, we can still spend some time together as a family on Sunday morning. We want to encourage you to comment on our Facebook page or our YouTube page um, and feel free to connect with one another, connect with us. We are definitely just glad that we have a way to continue to be together during this time. So this morning we are going to be talking a little bit about building resilient faith. And I think now more than ever is a great time to really dive into this topic and take some time to think about what exactly does resilient faith look like? We're in a challenging time. There's no arguing that. There's no doubt about that. And one of two things happens when we face challenges. We either can kind of shrink into ourselves and shy away, or we can embrace this time and really try to learn and to grow. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about is how do we develop this resilient faith that's going to see us through difficult times just like this. So we are actually in a very interesting time when it comes to the Church of Jesus Christ. And I don't think this is going to come as a big surprise to anybody, and I don't think this is going to be a shock to anybody, but today we're experiencing a transition from faith at the center to faith in the margins, and it's happening right before our eyes. Now, you can pull study after study after study that's going to show you exactly what we're talking about here, but it's a very disturbing trend. It disturbs me, and I hope that it disturbs you as well. So that's what we're going to be taking a look at over the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at how do we reverse this trend? How do we bring faith back into the center instead of faith moving out into the margins? And we're going to talk a little bit later on about some studies that have been done and some, some statistics. So for those of you who are like numbers like I do, you're going to get your fill of those here in just a little bit. But, but we really want to dive into this idea of building resilient faith and bringing faith back from the margins into the center and back into focus. So the statistics don't lie. Young non-Christians are avoiding Christianity, and young Christians are abandoning the church. That's just the bottom line. That's just kind of where we have been at. For many different reasons, we see non-Christians avoiding the Christian faith. And they give all kinds of reasons for that. But the scary thing is we also see young Christians who are abandoning their faith. The numbers are staggering of, the, of young people that grow up in the church and end up moving away from the church. And we're going to get into some more specifics on that here in just a little bit. But it's a staggering, disturbing trend. We have to become resilient disciples of Christ if we're going to turn this trend around and stop this trend. And we can do it with the help of Jesus Christ. But the question is, how do we do it? See, there's only about 10% of people, studies show, that are actually a resilient believer in Jesus Christ and have this resilient faith that we're going to be talking about. 10%. Now, I hope that that number scares you, and I hope that number shocks you, and I hope that number wakes you up a little bit, that we have got to do something now. 
Because, see, we're identifying this problem that only 10% of people have this resilient faith. But what are we going to do about it? See, I feel like as a church over the last, I don't even know how many years, and I've seen this all across the country, we've been in a defense mode. How How do we keep what we already have? How do we stay where we're at? But we've got to take an offensive stance, and we've got to do something about that. And the way that we do that is going to be through building resilient faith. So let's jump ahead. Let's take a look at what a resilient disciple looks like. So instead of a definition, let's go to the Bible and let's see what a resilient disciple actually looks like. So you're going to want to turn with me into Hebrews chapter 10. In just a moment, we're going to be looking at that. But a resilient disciple continues to follow Jesus faithfully and keeps showing up despite the tensions of contemporary culture. It's that whole, when you get knocked down, what do you do? Do you stay down or do you bounce back? A lot of us here in this time feel like we've been getting knocked down. But what are we going to do? Are we going to stay down or are we going to bounce back up? When we get knocked down, what are we going to do? So let's see what the Word has to say about that. Let's see what Scripture says about that. In Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Two things here I want to call your attention to. In verse 23, that word unswervingly. What that means is, is that we're not back and forth with our faith. It's not when times are good, I'm locked in and I'm following Jesus and I love Jesus and I want to do everything I can for him. And then when things are bad, ah, where's Jesus? And we kind of lose that focus. We've got to develop unswerving faith. That faith that keeps us on track, that keeps us on that straight and narrow. Now, that's not to say we're not going to make mistakes, but we're always coming back to that true center. Because as we learn here in Hebrews, we need to have unswerving faith. We jump ahead to verse 24. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Because see, when we have that resilient faith, when we're a resilient disciple, we're spurring one another on towards good deeds. We're lifting each other up. We're building each other up. We're being positive with one another. We're helping one another. We're lending a hand to one another. We're pulling people up when they're down. We're spurring one another on towards love with love. See, as a church family, we love one another. And Hebrews tells us that we need to spur each other on with that love so that we can all accomplish the task that has been set before us. So let's look at some more characteristics of a resilient disciple. You'll see on the screen it says, a resilient disciple wants others to see Jesus reflected in their lives through their words and their actions. One of the biggest things I hear from people who are non-believers that don't want anything to do with church and don't want to attend church is, well, the church is a bunch of hypocrites. They say one thing and do another. Well, that may be true, but you find hypocrites everywhere. But if we're truly trying to live our lives in a way that through our words and our actions are glorifying Jesus, 
That's what it's all about. That's what a resilient disciple does. We strive that in all of our words, in all of our actions, we are glorifying and pleasing our Lord and Savior. It says, C's worship is a way of life and not just an event. We had a youth conference here a while back here at the church, that was, and the theme was made to worship. And it was all about that worship should be in everything that we do. Worship is not just Sunday morning when we come to the building and we sing songs. Yes, that is worship. But we need to be worshiping in everything that we do. As Jason mentioned earlier, through our time and through our talents, that's worship. When we give money, that's worship. When we help others in Christ's name, that's worship. When we do our best to model Christ in everything that we do, that's worship. It's not just coming to the building on Sunday mornings. Yes, that's important, but right now we can't do that. So what are we doing to worship in everything that we do? That's what a resilient disciple does. A resilient disciple says, I need to be worshiping in everything that I do. How do I make that happen? And that's something we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks as well. And also, a resilient disciple wants to honor God with their gifts and talents. And that's what we, exactly what we've been talking about in the last few minutes. So let's jump over to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I think about this. It matters what Scripture tells us about this. So let's go to Scripture together. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Again, it's in everything that we do. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice when we're doing our best to follow God's plan when we're doing our best to model Christ in everything that we do, whether it's at home or at school or at work or wherever it may be, we're using our bodies to glorify him. And again, that's not to say we don't make mistakes from time to time, but what it does say is that we're doing our best to stay on that path and to model Jesus in everything that we do. Let's look at some more characteristics of a resilient disciple. Is excited to follow Christ. Are you excited by your faith? Are you excited that you get to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, I know a lot of times people say that the the height of their excitement is the day that they're baptized, as well it should be. Baptism is an amazing day. It's a life-changing experience. But are you that excited today as you were the day that you made that decision to come forward and to be buried in baptism? Because you should be. And if you're not, then we need, to, we need to take some time and take a look at our faith and say, do we still have that excitement? Do we still have that zeal for Jesus Christ? Because if we don't, then we're not doing it right. We should be excited, so excited about Jesus that we want to share that with everybody that we come in contact with. We get excited about lots of things these days, right? We get excited about new cars and new houses and new phones and new computers. Are we that excited about Jesus that we're telling everybody about Jesus just like we do with our physical possessions? 
We should be excited in Jesus Christ. And if you're not, what a great time that you have extra time to spend time in the Word and to spend time in prayer. What a great time to work on finding that excitement again. A resilient disciple hears Jesus speaking to them in a way that is, re- <coughs> excuse me, that is relevant to their daily lives. Are we reading the Scriptures and finding ways to apply that to our daily lives. See, that's the key. It's great that we're reading Scripture and that we're spending time with God. That's great. It's pleasing to Him. It's great for us. But are we finding ways to make what Jesus is teaching relevant 2,000 and some odd years later, just as it was the day that Jesus spoke those words? If we're not, we should be. And that's what a resilient disciple does. They don't just read a story in the Bible and say, okay, that's just a historical account, or that's just a narrative, or that's just a parable. A resilient disciple says, okay, that's a parable that he taught, but what can I take from this and apply it to my daily life so that I can be better Christian today than I was yesterday? Because see, Jesus' teaching is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. And it's our job to find that and to see that and to make those daily applications to our lives. Also, a resilient disciple sees the church as a place where they feel they belong and are being equipped to live out their faith in the workplace. Now, you see a little bit later on, then a couple weeks from now, we're going to talk about how how we need to make a vocation out of our faith and how, how we can share this faith with other people and things like that. But but that's, that's part of our job as a church, right? Is to equip each other and to equip the believers to take that out and share it with other people. Because if we're not, then we're not following out what Jesus has instructed us to do in the New Testament, which is to make disciples. If we're not making disciples, then what are we doing? We've got to make disciples. And the church is here to help you with that and to equip you with that and to teach you how to do that. But you also, and a key to this is we need to feel like we belong. This church is a family, okay? Not only here in Mission Viejo, but the Church of Jesus Christ is a family wherever we may be. And I hope and I pray that you feel a sense of belonging to this church. Because you know what? We are a family. We're all working towards the same goal. We're all on the same team. We're all trying to help each other and help ourselves follow Jesus Christ better and make it to heaven so that we can have that chance of eternal life. We're all on the same team and we're all working towards the same goal. And if you've been in the church for a long time and you've got a lot of wisdom to share, then do that. Help equip other people. If you're a new believer and maybe you're like, I don't know how to make disciples out of people. I'm still trying to be a disciple myself. Seek out those people that can help you get where you want to be which is closer and closer to Jesus Christ. So, we've talked about this faith, this resilient faith that a resilient disciple has. So we have to take a look at ourselves this morning and say, what kind of faith do we want to have? Do we want to have this resilient faith? Or do we want to just go through the motions and check the boxes? What kind of faith do we want for our children? We know that as parents, that our job is to bring our children up to know Jesus Christ. Don't we want this resilient faith 
for our kids, that's going to see them through those difficult times, that's going to keep them engaged with Jesus Christ when they go off to college or when they go off to school or when they're away from your home? That's our job as parents. So where are we at and where are our children at? And what do we want for them? Those are the things that we're thinking about this morning because, again, only 10% of Christians fall under the category of a resilient disciple. So are you in that 10%? Are your kids in that 10%? And if we're not, how do we get in that 10%? And how do we grow that 10%? And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Making disciples. It's different now than it used to be. But it's also the same as it used to be. And that's what I want to spend just a few minutes looking at. And if you, if you see this chart there on your screen, we're going to kind of start at what would be 1 o'clock. Times are changing. It takes time to make disciples. See, we live in a world where we have a smartphone in our pocket, right? And we can pull that smartphone out and we can get anything we want and we can get it right now. Right? We used to call it kind of a microwave society, although microwaves have been around for a long time now. But we have smartphones and we have devices that we literally carry around everywhere we go. And all the information we can want is at our fingertips. We can hit a button and have food delivered. We can hit a button and during normal times we can get Amazon things shipped to us the same day. But when you're building disciples, it takes time. It takes intentionality. You can't just passively make disciples. It doesn't work that way. We have to be intentional and we have to invest in people and we have to teach them how to follow Christ so that they can go out and teach other people. It's a one-on-one -on -one situation. Jesus was the example, right? Yes, Jesus spoke to the masses. Yes, Jesus had a lot of followers. But he also spent about three and a half years intentionally, one-on-one, -on -one, investing in a group of apostles so that they could go out and spread the word to everyone else. It was intentional. It was one-on-one. -on -one. It was a lengthy process. They spent day and night together for three and a half years so that he could teach them what he would have them to learn so that he could equip them to go out and make other disciples. That's what the disciple-making process looks like. Unfortunately, it's not just preach the word to 500 people and you're going to make 500 disciples. Wouldn't it be great if it worked that way? Of course it would. But it's about making disciples. It's not about increasing church attendance. That would be fantastic. I would love to see every one of these seats in here filled. I would love to have the problem of, hey, we don't have enough seating. What are we going to do? we got to get some temporary seating in here. And that's great. But the Bible doesn't teach us to go out and increase church attendance. The Bible teaches us to go out and make disciples. That's what it's all about. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Let's skip ahead to John chapter, we're going to start in John chapter 16, verse 33, and then we're going to carry this over into John chapter 17 as well. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open up. It'll also be here on the screen for you. But John chapter 16, verse 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples, right? And he's telling them, you're going to have some troubles, but have peace because I have overcome the world. See, you've got to be resilient. You're going to have problems, but at the end of the day, I overcame the world for you. 
We continue in 17.1. It says, Jesus said this. He looked toward the heavens and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Picking up in verse 2, it says, For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. It says, Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, don't misread this. This is actually not Jesus pointing to the cross. Not that the cross isn't important, because we know, as we talked about over Easter, that without Jesus going to the cross, we would never have that chance of redemption. But what we're talking about is Jesus finished the work he came to do. And that work was to equip the apostles and to teach the apostles so that they could go out and make more disciples. Because, see, Jesus knew he wasn't going to be around forever, so he wasn't going to be here to carry out the mission. So what did he do? He made disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples so that they could carry out the work of the Lord. He made disciples who were resilient. And he talks about finishing the work that he gave him to do. And that was to make disciples who can make disciples. So what are the goals? The goals are to develop Jesus followers. And this is what we just talked about a minute ago. When we were talking about the difference between growing church attendance, so to speak, and creating disciples. The Bible teaches us to make followers of Jesus. People who are truly following Christ, striving to do what Christ set us out to do. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Again, 1 Corinthians 11, 1. It's also on the screen for you. It says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. A resilient disciple follows the example of Jesus Christ. So that's what we need to do, and that's where we need to get to if we're not already there. The next goal, be resiliently faithful in the face of cultural pressures. We are in an unprecedented time right now where things take place in our world that are completely against what the Bible teaches, and society is embracing that. And society is saying, that's okay. It's okay to do this. It's okay to do that. Don't let somebody tell you you can't do X, Y, Z. But that's not what the Bible teaches us to do. And a resilient disciple says, that's fine that that's what culture is doing. That's what society is doing. But that's not what I'm going to do as a Jesus follower. See, we're called to be counter-cultural. We're called to be that 10% that doesn't just go with the flow. We have to say, no, I'm going to take a stand for Jesus Christ, just like the apostles did 2,000 years ago. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, In all this you greatly rejoice. It says, Though now for a little while... You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. It says, These have come 
so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, it says, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We're going to suffer and we're going to have some grief when we stand up for Jesus instead of standing up for the world. Just like Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he suffered and he was mocked and he was beaten and he was scorned and he was sent to a cross to die for our sins. We're called to be counter-cultural. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And we have to take a stand for Jesus Christ. And we're reminded of that right here in 1 Peter. And I love that it says, the genuineness of your faith of greater wealth than gold. Greater wealth than gold is our faith. That resilient faith and that hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's look at our last goal. That's to live a vibrant life in the Spirit. We were given an amazing gift when Christ ascended into heaven, and that's the gift of the Holy Spirit that we now receive through baptism. And we've got to embrace that. And we've got to learn to key into the Holy Spirit and to really follow where the Spirit leads us. See, when Jesus Christ left this earth, he knew that we were going to need help, right? Because we know all the way back to the days of the Israelites, back to the Garden of Eden, we as a people are going to make mistakes. But see, what a resilient disciple does is they search the Scriptures and they tune in to the Holy Spirit and we can live a fantastic life here on earth. That's not to say that we're not going to have troubles and we're not going to have trials and that everything's going to be easy and that we'll have plenty of money and that we'll have everything that we want. That's not what we're promised. But we should be living a vibrant life in the Spirit, a vibrant life as a Christ follower that makes other people say, hey, there's something different about him and I want a part of that. I want that hope. I want that joy. I want that faith that they have. That's what it's all about when we live a vibrant life in the Spirit. Let's look at some statistics, because as I promised you, I love statistics. Now, this is from a Barna study, and it's a study, and it's entitled Faith for Exiles. It's a 10-year study. Now, this particular study was from people who grew up in the church, and that's important, grew up in the church between the ages of 18 and 29. Now, you may be saying, oh, I don't fall into that category. I'm not between 18 and 29. But I would almost guarantee you, if we were to blow this study up and move these numbers out, I don't care if you're 29 or 209, I think these statistics are probably pretty darn close. 22% of those who grew up Christians are now prodigals. They no longer identify as Christians. 22%. 22% of people who grew up in the church, who grew up going to church, who grew up as a Christian, who knows the difference between right and wrong, have become prodigals and are living in another land, just like the prodigal son in the parable that we read. 22% have said, you know what? Yeah, I know I should be following Jesus, but I've decided to go do my own thing. 
30% of those who grew up Christians are now nomads. And what a nomad means is they identify as Christian, but they've not attended church or been involved for at least six months. So these are people who, when they're filling out the survey, right, and it says, what religion are you? And they, they check the box that says Christian, but they haven't stepped foot in a church in six months, and they haven't been living out their resilient faith. They've wandered off. They still identify as Christians, unlike the prodigals who, who say, you know what, I'm not even a Christian anymore. They're still checking the box, but they're not living out their faith. And they're not doing anything about it. They're not actively following Jesus. They're not actively leading others to Jesus. So they're saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. But they're not doing anything about it. 38% of those who grew up Christians are what we call habitual church goers. They claim to be Christians. They've attended at least once in the last month. But their core beliefs and their behaviors do not reflect intentional, engaged discipleship. So these are the people that are checking the box that I'm a Christian, and they're also checking that box that, hey, I went to church this month. But as soon as they walk out the door, they're no longer living the life of a Christian. So they're kind of playing church, right? They're telling people, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. I go to this church over here, whatever that church may be. But as soon as they walk out the door, it's all out the window. And they're living their life however they want to live their lives. They're not living for Christ. They're not following Christ. They're saying, eh, I checked the box. I went to church. I made my mom happy. I was able to text my mom after church and say, Mom, I went to church today. And mom said, yay, good job. <laughs> but they're not living the life of a Christian. So that's 90%, if I did my math right. I'm not a math major. That leaves 10%. And those are the 10% who grew up Christians are resilient disciples. They attend regularly. They trust in the authority of the Bible. They're committed to Jesus. They believe in his resurrection and death of sin. And they want to transform society because of their faith. Now, we can look at this 10% in a couple of different ways. It's sad that there's only 10%. Again, that number should shock you. That number should upset you. But thank goodness there is a 10%. Because where would we be without the 10%? And the good news is there is 10% out there who are truly living every day for Jesus and want to share that with others that can go out and make disciples. So it may only be 10%, but what can those 10% do with their time and their talents as we can start blowing that 10% up? So which category are you in? Which category are you in? Are you a prodigal? Are you a nomad? Are you a habitual churchgoer? Or do you truly have that resilient faith. Which category are your kids in? Now, I'm not asking what category do you want to be in. I want you to take a hard look. Where am I at 
Where do I want to be and where do I need to be? Because again, that 10% still gives us hope. So here's the things that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And I'm just going to go through these kind of quickly because we're going to unpack these over the next couple weeks. So these are five practices that we can engage in to become resilient disciples of Christ. And that's exactly what we're talking about. It says experiencing intimacy with Jesus. Now that word intimacy kind of gets a bad rap, right? Because we equate that to things like sex and things like that. That's not obviously what we're talking about. But what we are talking about is he wants to have an intimate relationship with you. He already knows all about you, but he wants you to know all about him. And he wants to talk to you. And he wants to have those private conversations with you through prayer. We're also going to be talking about developing the muscles of cultural discernment. And that's just a fancy term for we got to think like Christ followers. In everything that we do, we got to think like Christ followers. This next one is one that's super important to me, and that's forging meaningful intergenerational relationships. Now, this is something I've talked about from this very stage before. We've we got to find ways to connect some of our are Christians who have been Christians for a very long time to some of our new Christians or some of our younger Christians because they can learn a lot from one another. Intergenerational relationships, whether it's through mentoring, whether it's through, I don't even know what it, what it looks like, but, but we've got to figure out a way to make that happen. If you've been in Christ for a long time, you've got a lot to share with a new believer. And if you're a new believer, maybe you're seeing things from a different way, or maybe your excitement and enthusiasm for Jesus can wear off on somebody who's been a Christian for a long time. And maybe it's through mentorship, or maybe it's something as simple as inviting someone out to coffee, or just getting to know someone, or spending time together. Intergenerational relationships are so important, especially in the church. Training for vocational discipleship. That doesn't mean that you're training to be a preacher or a teacher or a song leader or whatever the case may be. But what it does mean is, are you able to take your faith to your mission field? Now, what I mean by your mission field is your mission field may be very different than my mission field. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's a sports team. Maybe it's school. But we're going to talk about how do we take this with us and share this with the people that we spend the most time with, with a lot of times is going to be the people that we work with, the people that we go to school with, the people that we play sports with. And last but not least, engaging in counter-cultural mission, to stand against the, the current of culture with love and truth of Christ. And we've already talked about that, so we're not going to beat the dead horse. So what are our takeaways? As parents, we have got to model resilient faith for our children. You know, there's kind of an old parenting saying, do as I say, not as I do. Well, let me just be upfront with you. It doesn't work. <laughs> we can't keep doing that. If you want your kids to grow up to have resilient faith, you've got to model that for them or you can never expect them to do it. If you want your kids to spend more time reading the Bible, well, guess what? They need to see you spending more time in the Bible. If you want your kids to make church a priority, 
guess what? You've got to let them see you make church a priority. You've got to model it to them. And as a church, we have a responsibility to help each and every one of us learn and practice these five principles. And again, we're going to unpack those a little bit further as we go. But this is a story I want to leave you with, and I'm going to read it kind of quickly and give you a real quick takeaway, and then we're going to wrap up. Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1. This isn't a book we go to a whole lot. Ezekiel chapter 37. This is a cool story, and I want to share it with you. It says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And here's what Ezekiel says to him. He says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. When we move ahead to verses 4, it says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. It says, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. It says, I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. It says, so I prophesied as I was commanded to do. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared, and then, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. It says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. Says, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. God can do amazing things. And we see in this story that he led him into this valley of bones or skeletons or whatever you want to call it. And he asked him, he says, Hey, do you think I can bring these people back to life? And he says, Lord, only you know. If God can take a valley of bones and rise them up, bone to bone, muscles and skin, and even put breath in their lungs and create an army, then I believe that he can take that 10% and increase that number and increase that number and increase that number and increase that number, but he needs us to help him do it. And I believe he can and I believe that he wants to. So the question is, are we willing to do our part? Are we willing to dive in and to take a look at these five things that we need to be doing so that we can create resilient faith, so that we can go out and create more resilient disciples? Are you willing to prophesy and preach to the bones? Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day and we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together and we're, we're, we're processing these numbers that we're looking at and these staggering numbers that we know don't just apply to young people but apply to all of us.
Heavenly Father, what, what my prayer is today is that you will help us as a church to take a look at that 10% and make it 20% and 30% and 50% and help us to make resilient disciples that can stand the test of time to spread your word. Because we know that your church was built too strong and too sturdy to go away. Heavenly Father, help us to do that as we move forward. Help us to be safe. Help us to continue to follow you and help us to be unwavering in that faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If we can help you in any way, if we can pray for you, please feel free to reach out. You can reach out through our app. You can reach out through our website. You can reach out to us by individual email. We are more than happy to help you in any way. If you want to be baptized, we'll practice a social distancing baptism if that's what we need to do, and we'll put our masks and our gloves on. But don't let that stop you from committing your life or recommitting your life to Jesus Christ. At this time, we're going to have a song of encouragement and a song of reflection, and I'll be back with you in just a few minutes. church family, thank you so much for joining us wherever you may be this morning. We are so thankful that you found us. I want to remind you that we do have a midweek service on Wednesday night as well, and that'll be coming to you by Zoom. If you're not on the email to receive that link, please reach out at office at mvchurch.org. You're not going to want to miss our midweek Bible study. So again, thank you so much for being with us. We'll be back again next Sunday morning as well, and I want to close us out with just a brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your son, and we thank you so much for all that you do for us. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to go about our weeks, help us to just live out our faith in exciting ways. Help us live out our faith in resilient ways as we move through this week, and help us learn and look for opportunities to help others. We thank you again for sending your son. We thank you again for everything that you do for us. It's in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Jesus,